Section 4 of The Black Prophet by William Carlton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4. He had again resumed his place at the scales and was about to proceed in his exactions when the door opened and a powerful young man, tall, big-boned and broad-shouldered, entered the room, leading or rather dragging with him the poor young woman and her child, who had just left the place in such bitterness and affliction. He was singularly handsome and of such resolute and manly bearing that it was impossible not to mark him as a person calculated to impress one with a strong anxiety to know who and what he might be. On this occasion his cheek was blanched and his eye emitted a turbid fire which could scarcely be determined as that of indignation or illness is it true he asked that you've dared to refuse to this this unfor is it true that you've dared to refuse this girl and her starvin' father and mother the meal she wanted is this true you hard-hearted old scoundrel because if it is by the blessed sky above us i'll pull the windpipe out of you you infernal miser he seized unfortunate skinadre by the neck as he spoke and almost at the same moment forced him to project his tongue about three inches out of his mouth causing his face at the same time to assume by the violence of the act an expression of such comic distress and terror as it was difficult to look upon with gravity. "'Is it true,' he repeated in a voice of thunder, "'that you've dared to do so scoundrelly an act, "'and she, the unfortunate creature, famishing with hunger herself?' "'While he spake, he held Skinadra's neck as if in a vice, "'firm in the same position, and the latter, of course.' could do nothing more than turn his ferret eyes round as well as he could to entreat him to relax his grip. "'Don't choke him, Tom!' exclaimed Hackett, who came forward to interpose. "'You'll strangle him, as heaven's above you will.' "'And what great crime would that be?' answered the other, relaxing his awful grip of the miser. "'Isn't he an every cursed meal-monger like him a curse and a scourge to the country and hasn't the same country curses and scourges enough without either him or them answer me now he proceeded turning to skinadra why did you send her away without the food she wanted my heart bled for her but it's a lie you born hypocrite it's a lie your heart never bled for anything or anybody but you don't know replied the miser what i lost by it's a lie i say thundered out the gigantic young fellow once more seizing the unfortunate meal-monger by the throat when out again went his tongue like a piece of machinery touched by a spring and again were the red eyes now almost starting out of his head turned round whilst he himself was in a state of suffocation that rendered his appearance ludicrous beyond description it's a lie i say for you have neither truth nor heart that's what we all know for heaven's sake let the man go said hackett or you'll have his death to answer for and as he spoke he attempted to unclasp the young man's grip tom dalton i say let the man go dalton who was elder brother to the lover of Mave Sullivan, seized Hackett with one of his hands, and spun him like a child to the other end of the room. Keep away, he exclaimed, till I settle with him. Here now, Skinadra, listen to me. You refused my father credit when we wanted it, although you knew we were honest. You refused him credit when we were turned out of our place, although you knew the sickness was among us, well you know whether we that were your friends and my father at least the making of you and as he spoke he accompanied every third word by a shake or two as a kind of running commentary upon what he said ay you did you knew it well and i could bear all that but i can't 
bear you to turn this unfortunate girl out of your place without what she wants and she's sinkin with hunger herself if she's in distress twas i that brought her to it and to shame and to sorrow too but i'll set all right for you yet margaret dear and no one has a better right to speak for her tom said the young woman with a feeble voice for the love of god let him go or he'll drop not replied dalton till he gives you what you come for come now he proceeded addressing the miser weigh her how much will you be able to carry margaret oh never mind now tom she replied i don't want any it's the old couple at home it's them it's them weigh her out continued the other furiously weigh her out a stone of meal or by all the lies that ever came from your lips i'll squeeze the breath out of your body you deceitful old hypocrite i will said the miser panting and adjusting his string of a cravat i will tom here i ain't able weigh it yourself i'm not indeed i'm not able said he breathless and i was thinkin when you came in of sendin after her because when i heard of the sickness among them that i mayn't sin but i found my heart bleedin inward tom's clutches were again at his throat another lie he exclaimed and you're a gone man do what i bid you skinadre appeared in point of fact unable to do so and dalton seeing this weighed the unhappy young woman a stone of oatmeal which on finding it too heavy for her feeble strength he was about to take up himself when he put his hands to his temples then staggered and fell they immediately gathered about him to ascertain the cause of this sudden attack when it appeared that he had become insensible his brow was now pale and cold as marble and a slight dew lay upon his broad forehead his shirt was open and exposed to view a neck and breast which although sadly wasted were of surpassing whiteness and great manly beauty margaret on seeing him fall instantly placed her baby in the hands of another woman and flying to him raised his head and laid it upon her bosom whilst the miser who had now recovered shook his head lifted his hands and looked as if he felt that his house was undergoing pollution in the meantime the young woman bent her mouth down to his ear and said in tones that were wild and hollow and that had more of despair than even of sorrow in them tom oh tom are you gone hear me but he replied not to her ah there was a day she added looking with a mournful smile around when he loved to listen to my voice but that day has passed forever he opened his eyes as she spoke hers were fixed upon him he felt a few warm tears upon his face and she exclaimed in a low voice not designed for other ears i forgive you all tom dear i forgive you all he looked at her and starting to his feet exclaimed margaret my own margaret hear me she is dying he shouted in a hoarse and excited voice she is dying with want i see it all she's dead it was too true the unhappy girl had passed into another life but whether from a broken heart caused by sin shame and desertion or from famine and the pressure of general destitution and distress could never properly be ascertained i see exclaimed dalton his eyes again blazing and his voice hollow with emotion i see there she lies and who brought her to that but i intended to set all right ay there she lies and again how are we at home brought low down down to a mud cabin now dick of the grange and now darby skinadre now for revenge the time is come i'll take my place at the head of them and what's to be done must be done margaret murtagh you're lying dead before me and by the broken heart you died of he could add no more but with these words tottering and frantic 
he rushed out of the miser's house with the help of god the young savage is as mad as a march hare observed skinadre coolly but as it's all over with the unfortunate creature i don't see why an honest man should lose his own at any rate whilst uttering these words he seized the meal and deliberately emptied it back into the chest from which young dalton had taken it chapter eight a middleman and magistrate master and man having mentioned a strange woman who made her appearance at skinadre's it may be necessary or at least agreeable to the reader that we should account for her presence under the roof of that worthy individual especially as she is likely to perform a part of some interest in our tale we have said already that she started on hearing mave sullivan's name mentioned and followed her and the black prophet's wife like a person who watched their motions and seemed to feel some peculiar interest in either one or both the reader must return then to the grey stone already alluded to which to some of the characters in our narrative will probably prove to be a stone of destiny hanlon having departed from sarah mcgowan in a state of excitement wended his way along a lonely and dreary road to the residence of his master dick of the grange the storm had increased and was still increasing at every successive blast until it rose to what might be termed a tempest it is indeed a difficult thing to describe the peculiar state of his feelings as he struggled onwards sometimes blown back to a standstill and again driven forward by the gloomy and capricious tyranny of the blast as if he were its mere plaything in spite however of the conflict of the external elements as they careered over the country around him he could not shake from his imagination the impression left there by the groan which he had heard at the greystone a supernatural terror therefore was upon him and he felt as if he were in the presence of an accompanying spirit of a spirit that seemed anxious to disclose the fact that murder would not rest and so strongly did this impression gain upon him that in the fitful howling of the storm and in its wild wailing and dying sobs among the trees and hedges as he went along he thought he could distinguish sounds that belonged not to this life still he proceeded his terrors thus translating as it were the noisy conflict of the elements into the voices of the dead or thanking heaven that the strong winds brought him to a calmer sense of his position by the necessity that they imposed of preserving himself against their violence in this anomalous state he advanced until he came to a grove of old beeches that grew at the foot of one of the hill-ranges we have described and here the noises he heard were not calculated to diminish his terrors as the huge trees were tossed and swung about in the gloomy moonlight his ears were assailed by a variety of wild sounds which had never reached them before the deep and repeated crashes of the tempest as it raged among them was accompanied by a frightful repetition of hoarse moanings muffled groans and wild unearthly shrieks which encountered him from a thousand quarters in the grove and he began to feel that horrible excitement which is known to be occasioned by the mere transition from extreme cowardice to reckless indifference still he advanced homewards repeating his prayers with singular energy his head uncovered notwithstanding the severity of the night and the rain pouring in torrents upon him when he found it necessary to cross a level of rough land at all times damp and marshy but in consequence of the rains of the season now a perfect morass over this he had advanced about half a mile and got beyond the frightful noises of the woods 
when some large object rose into the air from a clump of plashy rushes before him and shot along the blast uttering a booming sound so loud and stunning that he stood riveted to the earth the noise resembled that which sometimes proceeds from a humming top if a person could suppose one made upon such a gigantic scale as to produce the deep and hollow buzz which this being emitted nothing could now convince him that he was not surrounded by spirits and he felt confident that the voice of undiscovered murder was groaning on the blast shrieking as it were for vengeance in the terrible voice of the tempest he once more blessed himself repeated a fresh prayer and struggled forward weak and nearly exhausted until at length he reached the village adjoining which his master dick of the grange resided the winds now and for some minutes previously had begun to fall and the lulls in the storm were calmer and more frequent as well as longer in duration hanlon proceeded to his master's and peering through the shutters discovered that the servants had not yet retired to rest then bending his steps further up the village he soon reached a small isolated cabin at the door of which he knocked and in due time was admitted by a thin tall female god protect us dear you're lost blessed father such a night oh my my well well let's sit sit near the spark of fire such as it is but indeed it's little you'll benefit by it anyway sit down hanlon sat on a stool and laying his hat beside him on the floor he pressed the rain as well as he could out of his drenched hair and for some time did not speak whilst the female squatted upon the ground somewhat like a hare in her form sat with the candle in her hand which she held up in the direction of his face whilst her eyes were riveted on him with a look of earnest and solemn inquiry well she said at length did your journey end as i told you it would in nothing and yet god preserve me you look ah what has happened you look like one that was terrified sure enough tell me at once did the dream come out true i'll not have a light heart this many a day he replied let no one say there's not a providence above us to bring murder to light god of glory be about us she exclaimed interrupting him something has happened your looks would frighten one and your voice isn't like the voice of a living man tell me and yet for all so curious as i feel i'm trembling this minute but tell me did the dream come out true i say the dream came out true he replied solemnly i know where the tobacco box is that he had about him the same that transported my poor uncle or that was partly the means of doing it the woman crossed herself muttered a short ejaculatory prayer and again gathered her whole features into an expression of mingled awe and curiosity did you go to the place you dreamed of she asked i went to the grey stone he replied and offered up a prayer for his soul after putting my right hand upon it in his name just as i did on yesterday after i got an account of the tobacco box i heard a groan at the spot as heavens above me i did saviour of earth guntho shin but that wasn't all on my way home i heard as i was passing the old trees at the rabbit bank things that i can't find words to tell you of well akushla glory be to god for everything it's all his will blessed be his name what did you hear avick but wait till i throw a drop of the holy water that i have hanging in the little bottle at the bedpost upon us she rose whilst prayer and getting the bottle alluded to sprinkled both herself and him after which she hung it up again in its former position there now nothing harmful at any rate 
can come near us after that blessed be his name well what did you hear coming home i mean at the rabbit bank Warrah, she added shuddering but it's it that's the lonely spot after night what was it dear indeed i can scarcely tell you such groans and wild shoutings and shrieks man's ears never heard in this world i think there i heard them as i was coming past the trees and after i passed them and when i left them far behind me i could hear every now and then a wild shriek that made my blood run cold but there was still worse as i crossed the black park something got up into the air out of the rushes before me and went off with a noise not unlike what jerry hamilton of the band makes when he rubs his middle finger against the tambourine heaven be about us she exclaimed once more crossing herself and uttering a short prayer for protection from evil but tell me how did you know it was his box and how did you find it out by the letters p m and the broken hinge he replied blessed be the name of god she exclaimed again he won't let the murder lie that's clear but what i want to know is how did your going to the greystone bring you to the knowledge of the box he then gave her a more detailed account of his conversation with sarah mcgowan and the singular turn which it chanced to take towards the subject of the handkerchief in the first instance but when the coincidence of the letters were mentioned together with sarah's admission that she had the box in her possession she clasped her hands and looked upwards exclaimed blessed be the name of the almighty for that oh i feel there is no doubt now the hand of god is in it and will come at the murderer or the murderers yet i hope so he replied but i'm lost with wet and cold so in the meantime i'll be off home and to my bed i had something to say to you about another matter but i'll wait till morning dear knows i'm in no condition to speak about anything else to-night this is a snug little cabin but please god in the course of a week or so i'll have you more comfortable than you are if my own trouble was over me i wouldn't stop long in the neighborhood but as the hand of god seems to be in this business i can't think of going till it's cleared up as cleared up as it will be i have no doubt and can have none after what has happened this awful night hanlon's situation with his master was one with which many of our readers are no doubt well acquainted he himself was a clever active ingenious fellow who could as they say in the country put a hand to anything and make himself useful in a great variety of employments he had in the spring of that year been engaged as a common labourer by dick of the grange in which capacity he soon attracted his employer's notice by his extraordinary skill in almost everything pertaining to that worthy gentleman's establishment it is true he was a stranger in the country of whom nobody knew anything for there appeared to be some mystery about him but as dick cared little of either his place of birth or pedigree it was sufficient for him to find that hanlon was a very useful not to say valuable young man about his house that he understood everything and had an eye and hand equally quick and experienced the consequence was that he soon became a favorite with the father and a kind of sine qua non with the son into whose rustic gallantries he entered with a spirit that satisfied the latter of his capacity to serve him in that respect as well as others hanlon in truth was just the person for such a master and for such an establishment as he kept dick of the grange was not a man who either by birth education or position in society could entertain any pretensions to rank with the gentry of the surrounding country it is true he was a magistrate but then he was a middleman and as such found himself an interested agent in the operation of one of the worst and most cruel systems that ever cursed either the country or the people we of course mean that which suffered a third party to stand between the head landlord and those who in general occupied the soil 
of this system it may be with truth said that the iniquity lay rather in the principle on which it rested than in the individual who administered it because it was next to an impossibility that a man anxious to aggrandize his family as almost every man is could in the exercise of the habits which enabled him to do so avoid such a pressure upon those who were under him as amounted to great hardships and injustice the system held out so many temptations to iniquity in the management of land and in the remuneration of labor that it required an amount of personal virtue and self-denial to resist them that were scarcely to be expected from any one so difficult was it to overlook or neglect the opportunities for oppression and fraud which it thus offered old dick although bearing the character of being a violent and outrageous man was however one of those persons of whom there will be always somebody found to speak favorably hot and ungovernable in temper he unquestionably was and capable of savage and cruel acts but at the same time his capricious and unsteady impulses rendered him uncertain whether for good or evil so much so indeed that it was impossible to know when to ask him for a favor nor was it extraordinary to find him a friend this day to the man whose avowed enemy he proclaimed himself yesterday and this same point of character was true the other way for whilst certain that you had him for a friend perhaps you found him hard at work to oppress or overreach you if he could the consequence of this peculiarity was that he had a twofold reputation in the country some were found to abuse him and others to mention many acts of generosity and kindness which he had been known to perform under circumstances where they were least to be expected this perhaps was one reason why they made so strong an impression upon the people and were so distinctly remembered to his advantage it is true he was a violent party man but then he wanted coolness to adjust his principles and thus make them subservient to his private interests for this reason notwithstanding his strong and outspoken prejudices it was a well-known fact that the roman catholic population preferred him as a magistrate to many who were remarkable for a more equal and even tenor of life and in whom under greater plausibility of manner there existed something which they would have readily exchanged for his violent abuse of them and their creed such was dick the grange a man who as a middleman and magistrate stood out a prominent representative of a class that impressed themselves strongly upon their times and who whether as regards their position or office would not find at the present day in the ranks of any party in ireland a single man who could come forward and say they were not an oppressive evil to the country to the grange at this period of our narrative was far advanced in years and had some time past begun to feel what is known in men who have led a hard convivial life as that breaking down of the constitution which is generally the forerunner of dissolution on this account he had for some time past resigned the management of his property altogether to his son young dick who was certainly wild and unreflecting but neither so impulsively generous nor so habitually violent as his father the estimate of his character which went abroad was such as might be expected many thought him better than the old man he was the youngest son and a favorite two circumstances which probably occasioned his education to be neglected as it had been all his sisters and brothers having been for some years married and settled in life he and his father who was a widower kept a bachelor's house where we regret to say the parental surveillance over his morals was not so strict as it ought to have been young dick was handsome and so exceedingly vain of his person that any one wishing to gain a favor either from himself or his worthy sire 
had little more to do than dexterously apply a strong dose of flattery to this his weakest point and the favor was sure to be granted for his influence over old dick was boundless in this family then it was that hanlon held the situation we have described that is partly a gardener and partly a steward and partly a laboring man there was a rude and riotous character in and about dick's whole place which marked it at once as the property of a person below the character of a gentleman abundance there was and great wealth but neither elegance nor neatness marked the house or furniture his servants partook of the same equivocal appearance as did the father and the son and the grange in general but above all and everything in his establishment must we place in originality and importance jemmy brannigan who in point of fact ought to receive credit for the greater portion of old dick's reputation or at least for all that was good of it jemmy was his old confidential enemy for more than forty years during the greater portion of which period it could scarcely be said with truth that in jemmy's hands dick of the grange ought to be looked to as a responsible person when we say enemy we know perfectly well what we mean for if half a dozen battles between jemmy and his master every day during the period above mentioned constituted friendship then indeed the reader may substitute the word friend if he pleases in fact dick and jemmy had become notorious throughout the whole country and we are certain that many of our readers will at first glance recognize these two remarkable individuals truly the ascendancy which jemmy had gained over the magistrate was surprising and nothing could be more amusing than the interminable series of communications both written and oral which passed between them in the shape of dismissals from service on the one side and notices to leave on the other each of which whether written or oral was treated by the party noticed with the most thorough contempt nothing was right that jemmy disapproved of and nothing wrong that had his sanction and this without any reference whatsoever to the will of his master who if he happened to get into a passion about it was put down by jemmy who got into a greater passion still so that after a long course of recrimination and billingsgate on both sides delivered by jemmy in an incomparably louder voice and with a more consequential manner old dick was finally forced to succumb the worthy magistrate and his son were at breakfast next morning when young master richard as he was called rung the bell and jemmy attended for we must add that jemmy discharged the duties of butler together with any other duty that he himself deemed necessary and that without leave asked or given where's hanlon jemmy he asked hanlon troth it's little matter where he is and devil a one of myself cares well but i care jemmy for i want him where is he he's gone up to that old steel's that lives in the cabin above there i don't like the same hanlon nobody here knows anything about him nor he won't let them know anything about him he's as close as darby skinadre and as deep as a draw-well altogether he looks as if there was a weight on his conscience for all his lightness and fun and if i thought so i'd discharge him at once and i agree with you for once observed his master there is some cursed mystery about him i don't like him either to say the truth and why don't you like him asked jemmy with a contemptuous look i can't say but i don't no you can't i know you can't say anything at all events that you ought to say replied jemmy who like his master would have died without contradiction but i can say why you don't like him it's because he's the best servant ever was about your place 
that's the reason you don't like him but what do you know about a good servant or a bad one or anything else that's useful to you god help you if you were near my cane you old scoundrel i'd pay you for your impertinence ay would i old scoundrel is it oh hold your tongue i'm not of your blood thank god and don't be fastening your name upon me old scoundrel indeed troth we could spare an odd one now and then out of our own little establishment jemmy never mind said the son but tell hanlon i want to speak to him in the office after breakfast if i see him i will but the devil an inch i'll go out of my way for it if i see him i will and if i don't i won't did you put a fresh bandage to your leg to keep in them pharisee varicose veins we presume veins of yours as the doctor ordered you this in fact was the usual style of his address to the old magistrate when in conversation with him damn the quack replied his master no i didn't and why didn't you you're beginning this morning said the other losing temper you had better keep quiet keep your distance if you're wise that's all why didn't you i ax continued jemmy walking up to him with his hands in his coat pocket and looking coolly but authoritatively in his face i tell you and if you don't know how to take care of yourself i do and i will i'm all that's left over you now and in spite of all i can do it's a pretty account i'd be able to give of you if i was called on this to my face exclaimed dick this to my face you villain and as he spoke the cane was brandished over jimmy's head as if it would descend any moment ay replied jimmy without budging ay indeed and pretty face it is a nice face hard drinkin and a bad life has left you ah do it if you dare he added as the other swung his staff once or twice as if about to lay it down in reality troth if you do i'll know how to act what would you do you old cancer what would you do if i did troth what you'll force me to do some day i know you will for heaven and earth couldn't stand you and if i do it's not me you'll have to blame for it ah that same step you'll drive me to i see that what will you do you old viper that has been like a blister to me my whole life what will you do send you about your business replied jemmy coolly but with all the plentitude of authority in his manner send you from about the place and then i'll have a quiet house i'll send you to your youngest daughters or somewhere or anywhere out of this so now that you know my determination you had better keep yourself cool unless indeed you wish to travel oh then heavens above but you were a bitter sight to me and but it was the unlucky day that ever the devil drove you across me dick said the father as soon as you go into the office write a discharge of as bad a one for that old vagabond as the english language can enable you to do for by the light of heaven he shan't sleep another night under this roof shan't i we'll see that though to the devil i pitch yourself and your discharge and now mark my words i'll be no longer troubled with you you've been all my life a torment and a heartbreak to me a blister of french flies was swans down compared to you but by the book i'll end it at last i will i i give you up i surrender you as a bad bargain i wash my hands of you this is tuesday morning god bless the day and weather and woeful weather it is but sure it's better than you deserve and i don't doubt but it's you and likes you that brings it on us ay this is tuesday morning and now i give you warning that on saturday next you'll see the last of me and don't think that this warning is like the rest or that i relent again and i was foolish enough to do often before no my mind's made up and indeed here his voice sank to a great calmness and philosophy like a man who was above all human passion and who could consequently talk in a voice of cool and quiet determination and indeed he added my conscience was urging me to this for some time past so that i'm glad things has taken this turn i hope you'll keep your word then said his master but before you go listen to me listen to you to be sure i will god forbid i wouldn't 
let there be nothing at any rate but civility between us while we're together what is it you asked me last night to let widow leary's cow out of pond ay did i and i swore i wouldn't i know you did who would doubt that at any rate well before you leave be off now and let the animal out of the pound is that it oh god help you what'll you do when you'll be left to yourself as you will be on saturday next let her out says you truth the poor woman had her cow safe and sound at home with her before she went to bed last night and her poor children had her milk to kitchen their pratties the crothers do you think i'd let her stay in till the maggot bit you oh i indeed in the meantime as soon as you are done breakfast i want you in the study to put the bandage on that old good-for-nothing leg of yours and mark my words let there be no shirkin now for on it must go and will too if i see that hanlon i'll tell him you want to see him master richard and now that i'm on it i had better say a word to you before i go because when i do go you'll have no one to guide you god help you or set you a christian pattern you see that man sittin there with that bad leg stretched out upon the chair i do jimmy ha 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 well what's next that man was the worst pattern ever you had in the word don't follow his example in anything in any one single thing and then there may be some chance o you still i'll want you by and by in the study i told you these last words were addressed to his master at whom he looked as one might be supposed to do at a man whose case in a moral sense was hopeless after which having uttered a groan that seemed to imitate the woeful affliction he was doomed day by day to suffer he left the room it is not our intention neither is it necessary that we should enter into the particulars of the interview which hanlon had that morning with young dick it is merely sufficient to state that they had a private conversation in the old magistrate's office at which the female whom hanlon had visited the night before was present when this was concluded hanlon walked with her a part of the way evidently holding serious and interesting discourse touching a subject which we may presume bore upon the extraordinary proceedings of the previous night he closed by giving her directions how to proceed on her journey for it seemed that she was unacquainted with the way being like himself but a stranger in the neighbourhood you will go on said he till you reach the height at augendrummon from that you will see the trees at the rabbit bank under you then keep the road straight till you come to where it crosses the ford of the river a little on this side and where the road turns to your right you will find the grey stone and just opposite that you will see the miserable cabin where the black prophet lives why do they call him the black prophet partly they tell me from his appearance and partly because he takes delight in prophesying evil but could he have anything to do with the murder i was thinking about that he replied and had some talk this morning with a man that's livin a long time indeed that was born a little above the place and he says that the black prophet or mcgowan did not come to the neighbourhood till after the murder i wasn't myself cool enough last night to ask his daughter many questions about it and i was afraid besides to appear over anxious in the business so now that you have your instructions in that and the other matters you'll manage everything as well as you can hanlon then returned to the grange and the female proceeded on her mission to the house if house it could be called of the black prophet for the purpose if possible of collecting such circumstances as might tend to throw light upon a dark and mysterious murder when sarah left her father after having poulticed his face to go a cayley as she said to a neighbour's house she crossed the ford of the river and was proceeding in the same directions that had been taken by hanlon the preceding night 
when she met a strange woman or rather she found her standing apparently waiting for herself at the grey stone from the position of the stone which was a huge one under one ledge of which by the way there grew a little clump of dwarf elder it was impossible that sarah could pass her without coming in tolerable close contact for the road was an old and narrow one though perfectly open and without hedge or ditch on either side of it maybe you could tell me young woman whereabouts here a man lives that they call donald dhu or the black prophet his real name is m'gowan i think i ought to be able to tell you at any rate replied sarah i'm his daughter the strange woman on surveying sarah more closely looked as if she never intended to remove her eyes from her countenance and figure she seemed for a moment as it were to forget every other object in life her previous conversation with hanlon the message on which she had been sent and her anxiety to throw light upon the awful crime that had been committed at the spot whereon she stood at length she sighed deeply and appeared to recover her presence of mind and to break through the abstraction in which she had been wrapped you're his daughter you say ay i do say so then you know a young man by the name pierce och what am i saying by the name charlie hanlon to be sure i do i'm not ashamed of knowing charles hanlon you have a good opinion of him then i have a good opinion of him but not so good as i had thought musha why then might one ask i'm afeard he's a cowardly crather and rather unmanly a trifle i like a man to be a man and not to get as white as a sheet and cold as a tombstone because he hears what he thinks to be a groan at night and it may be nothing but an old cow behind a ditch ha 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 and where did he hear the groan why here where we're standing ha 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 i was thinking of it since and i did hear something very like a groan but what about it such a night as last night would make any one groan that had grown in them you spoke about ditches but sure there's no ditches here divil a mather who cares what it was what do you want with my father it was yourself that i wanted to see fixed and you've seen me then and the full of your eye you took out of me you know me again i hope is your mother living no how long is she dead do you know i do not i hardly remember anything about her she died when i was a young slip a mere child i believe still she proceeded rather slowly musing and putting her beautiful and taper fingers to her chin i think that i do remember it's like a dream to me though and i dunna but it is one still it's like a dream to me but i was once in her arms that i was crying and that she kissed me that she kissed me if she had lived it's a different life maybe i lead and a different creature i'd be to-day maybe but i never had a mother did your father marry a second time he did then you have a stepmother ay have i is she kind to you and do you like her middlin she's not so bad better than i deserve i doubt i'm sorry for what i did to her but then i have the divil's temper and have no guide of myself when it comes on me i know whatever she may be to me i'm not the best stepdaughter to her the strange female was evidently much struck with the appearance and singularly artless disposition of sarah as well as with her extraordinary candour and indeed no wonder for as this neglected creature spoke especially with reference to her mother her eyes flashed and softened with an expression of brilliancy and tenderness that might be said to resemble the sky at night when the glowing coruscations of the aurora borealis sweep over it like expanses of lightning or fade away into those dim but graceful undulations which fill the mind with a sense of such softness and beauty i don't know observed her companion sighing and 
looking at her affectionately how any stepmother could be harsh to you ha 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 don't you indeed fay then if you had me maybe you wouldn't think so i'm nothing but a born divil when the fit's on me charley hanlon proceeded the strange woman bid me ax you for the old tobacco box you promised him last night well but he promised me a handkerchy have you got it i have replied the other producing it but then i'm not to give it to you unless you give me the box for it but i haven't the box now said sarah how and ever i'll get it for him are you sure that you can and will inquired the other i had it in my hand yesterday she said and if it's to be had i'll get it well then observed the other mildly as soon as you get him the box he'll give you this handkerchief but not till then ha she exclaimed kindling is that his bargain does he think i'd trick him or cheat him hand it here i can't replied the other i'm only to give it to you when i get the box hand it here i say returned sarah whose eyes flashed in a moment it's peggy murray's rag i suppose hand it here i bid you the woman shook her head and replied i can't not till you get the box sarah replied not a word but sprang at it and in a minute had it in her hands i would tear it this minute into ribbons she exclaimed with eyes of fire and glowing cheeks and tramp it under my feet too only that i want it to show her that i may have the advantage over her there was a sharp fierce smile of triumph on her features as she spoke and altogether her face sparkled with singular animation and beauty god bless me said the strange woman looking at her with a wondering yet serious expression of countenance i once knew a face like yours and a temper the equal of it at any rate my good girl you don't pay much respect to a stranger is your stepmother at home she is not but my father is however i don't think he'll see you now my stepmother's gone to darby skinadra the meal-mongers i'm going there and if you see her replied the other you'll know her a score on her cheek ha 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 and when you see it maybe you'll thank god that i'm not your stepdaughter isn't there a family named sullivan that lives not far from skinadra's there is jerry sullivan it's his daughter that's the beauty gregal sullivan little she knows what's preparing for her how am i to go to skinadra's from this asked the woman up by that road there any one will tell you as you go along thank you dear replied the woman tenderly god bless you you are a wild girl sure enough but above all things afore i go don't forget the box for for och for charley hanlon god bless you a colleen mochre and make you what you ought to be sarah during many a long day had not heard herself addressed in an accent of kindness or affection for it would be wrong to bestow upon the rude attachment which her father entertained for her or his surly mode of expressing it any term that could indicate tenderness even in a remote degree she looked therefore at the woman earnestly and as she did her whole manner changed to one of melancholy and kindness a soft and benign expression came like the dawn of breaking day over her features her voice fell into natural melody and sweetness and approaching her companion she took her hand and exclaimed may god bless you for them words it's many a day since i heard the voice of kindness i'll get the box if it's to be had if it was only for your own sake she then passed on to her neighbor's house and the next appearance of her companion was that in which the reader caught a glimpse of her in the house of darby skinadra from which she followed nelly mcgowan and mave sullivan with an appearance of such interest chapter nine meeting of strangers mysterious dialogue gregal sullivan and the prophet's wife having left the meal shop proceeded in the direction of 
Ogmoran, evidently in close, and if one could judge by their gestures, deeply important conversation. The strange woman followed them at a distance, meditating, as might be perceived by her hesitating manner, upon the most seasonable moment of addressing either one or both, without seeming to interrupt or disturb their dialogue. Although the actual purport of the topic they discussed could not be known by a spectator, yet even to an ordinary observer it was clear that the elder female uttered something that was calculated to warn or alarm the younger. She raised her extended forefinger, looked earnestly into the face of her companion, then upwards solemnly, and, clasping her hands with vehemence, appeared to close her assertion by appealing to heaven in behalf of its truth. The younger looked at her with wonder, seemed amazed, paused suddenly on her step, raised her hands, and looked as if about to express terror, but, checking herself, appeared as it were perplexed by uncertainty and doubt. After this the elder woman seemed to confide some secret or sorrow to the other, for she began to weep bitterly, and to wring her hands as if with remorse, whilst her companion looked like one who had been evidently transformed into an impersonation of pure and artless sympathy. She caught the rough hand of the other, and, ere she had proceeded very far in her narrative, a few tears of compassion stole down her youthful cheek, after which she began to administer consolation in a manner that was at once simple and touching. She pressed the hand of the afflicted woman between hers, then wiped her eyes with her own handkerchief, and soothed her with a natural softness of manner that breathed at once of true tenderness and delicacy. As soon as this affecting scene had been concluded, the strange woman imperceptibly mended her pace until her proximity occasioned them to look at her with that feeling which prompts us to recognize the wish of a person to address us, as it is often expressed by an appearance of mingled anxiety and diffidence when they approach us. At length Maeve Sullivan spoke. Who is that strange woman that is following us and wants to say something, if one can judge by her looks? Well, I don't know, replied Nelly, but whatsoever it may be she wishes to speak to you or me, no doubt of it. She looks like a poor woman. Footnote a common and compassionate name for a person forced to ask alms, said Maeve. And yet she didn't ask anything in Scanadras, barring a drink of water. But God pity her, if she's coming to us for relief, poor creature. At any rate, she appears to have care and distress in her face. I'll speak to her. She then beckoned the female to approach them, who did so but they could perceive as she advanced that they had been mistaken in supposing her to be one of those unhappy beings whom the prevailing famine had driven to mendicancy. There was visible in her face a feeling of care and anxiety, certainly, but none of that supplicating expression which is at once recognized as the characteristic of the wretched class to which they supposed her to belong. This circumstance particularly embarrassed the inexperienced girl, whose gentle heart at the moment sympathized with the stranger's anxieties, whatever they may have been, and she hesitated a little when the woman approached in addressing her. At length she spoke. We were just saying to one another, she observed, that it looked as if you wished to speak to either this woman or me. "'You're right enough, then,' she replied. "'I have something to say to her, and a single word to yourself, too.' "'And what is it you have to say to me?' asked Nelly. "'I hope it isn't to borrow money from me, because if it is, my banker has failed, and left me as poor as a church mouse.' "'Are you in distress, poor woman?' inquired the generous and 
kind-hearted girl maybe you're hungry it isn't much we can do for you but little as it is if you come home with me you'll come to a family that won't scruple to share the little they have now with any one that's worse off than themselves ay you may well say now observed the prophet's wife for until now it's they that could always afford it and indeed it was the ready and the willin bit was ever at your father's table the stranger looked upon the serene and beautiful features of mave with a long gaze of interest and admiration after which she added with a sigh and you i believe are the girl they talk so much about for the fair face and good heart little penetration it takes to see that you have both my sweet girl if i don't mistake your name is mave sullivan or gregal as the people mostly call you end of section four